phone booth fighting richard and frank on location at no regrets bar in suburban las vegas we're making this a monthly thing frank when we're home although we've had more and more travel to deal with here lately too much alone and together sometimes you and i are hitting the road together but uh it turns out i'm not nearly as marketable teaching seminars as you are so they they they're not uh, interested in paying my tax generally they just purchase just mma seminars but you do a life seminar Oh, that's true. That's true. Life coaching. I could do some life coaching. I could get out my headset, you know, my little uh, headset that I wear. Like and, the uh, uh, TED Talks type? Mm-hmm. Bust out all my motivational phrases. Yeah. Maybe we ought to uh, sell that as an add-on to your uh, to your seminars. Yeah. Maybe not. All right. You're going to be in uh, Denver. This That's where you're headed, like, in a couple hours, right? Yeah. Uh, we're flying to Colorado, and then uh, and I think the... Uh, the convention center is like an hour and a half, so uh-huh. uh, I'm going to go down there, uh, hang out with Robert Drysdale for uh, a day or two, and then Saturday we're going to uh, do a seminar, and then uh, I think Saturday night at one of the bars we're going to watch some fights. Right. UFC 205, we're going to be talking about that momentarily. If you are in the Denver area or you want to be in the Denver area and train with Frank and Robert Drysdale on Saturday, I'm going to give you the info right off the bat here. It is uh, the Denver BJJ Seminars Series. This particular one will be this Saturday, 12.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. with Robert and Frank. It is a no-gi and MMA seminar. It is going to be taking place at 2595 West 8th Avenue there in Denver. And if you would like more information, just call this number, 720-400-2029. That's 720-400-2029. And we'll post that information up on uh, the phone booth fighting and Frank Mir social media as well. But that's where Frank will be this weekend. If you're going to be in the Las Vegas area on Sunday night, you want to come see me do some uh, stand-up comedy, that'll be at the L.A. Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip 8 p.m. show. If you want to be on my guest list, just hit me up on social media, and I'll put you on there for no other reason than the fact that you're a listener to Phone Booth Fighting. That's good enough in my book. We do this uh, podcast twice weekly, episodes, new episodes post uh, twice a week. You get them at phoneboothfighting.com in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever podcasts are available. UFC 204 goes down this weekend uh, in, over in uh, England. It is the long-awaited rematch between Michael Bisbing and uh, Dan Henderson. They fought uh, on a card that you main evented, Frank, UFC 100, and that was when um, Michael Bisping was KO'd in devastating fashion by Dan Henderson, who at the time, I just rewatched this fight the other night, and it was funny because uh, Rogan was talking about Dan Henderson as he was walking to the cage, and uh, he was saying something along the lines of, yeah, you know, a lot of people have written Dan Henderson off, they say he's... He's 37 years old or 38 or whatever he was. You know, I think he's still got a fight or two left in him. And look at all these years later, we're still talking about him. Yeah, quite a bit later. 46-year-old Dan Henderson. You give him a shot in this fight? Oh, absolutely. 
Um, he hits hard. He's uh, resilient. Um, you know, he's not easy to take down. He has a great clinch work. And, and again, what I said earlier, um, the fact that he hits so hard at any moment, if he lands a shot on uh, Bisbing, Bisbing could be winning the fight for three or four rounds. And if uh, he steps the wrong direction at the wrong moment, um, it could be lights out for him. Where I don't think Bisbing has as many weapons to put Henderson out in one shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I think could he accumulatively uh, TKO him and break him down and just be too elusive for him? Absolutely. I think that's kind of the keys to victory for uh, Bisbing. But as far as one-punch knockout power, Henderson has it in both hands. Do you think anything's changed about Bisbing's game since the last time that he fought Henderson? I asked Bisbing that question at the press conference a month or so ago, and he he attributed it to some things like, well, he was overtrained for the first fight, and he's he's gotten uh, smarter about his training, but nothing really that indicated a, a you know an evolution in technique. He didn't really. Uh, indicate what no, do you I mean think? he's always had a very high level technique I think in the first fight he was just you know he faded out towards his uh, left at the same time that you know Henderson decided to throw a bomb and he kind of ran into it um, you know I think Bisbing is, is always for the last several years has had great footwork and great combinations and speed and uh, really is a very complete mixed martial artist it's just that you know when you have knockout power like that that Dan Henderson has you can make people, you know, go to sleep that are technically maybe superior than you. Yeah, and it, he he actually Bisping did actually concede that point to me when I asked him about it. He said that uh, he thought in that first fight he was making that repeated mistake of of circling to his left, which is moving right in the range of uh, Dan Henderson's big overhand right, and that he wouldn't be making that mistake again. Uh, of course, Bisping is right is on a career high after upsetting Luke Rockhold on short notice to take the middleweight title. Uh, what about Henderson's chances? I mean, we just saw him, you know, it's it's been up and down for him uh, the last handful of fights or so, but having been there in the arena when he finished Hector Lombard the way he did in his last fight in L.A., one of the most spectacular finishes of Dan Henderson's storied career. I mean, uh, do you think there's a such thing as a, as a late in a career second wind? Like oh, absolutely. I think that Dan Henderson just, you know, has made adjustments with age. I think that, um, you know, the body that he probably had in his mid-30s and the way he trained at that time has changed now that he's in his mid-40s. And obviously he's just really come upon himself and, and has put it together. And uh, I give him a big chance to win this fight. I think that uh, it's hard to pick a side you're going to move to on Dan Henderson. Don't move to your left so you run into his right hand. But I think his left hook might even be more dangerous than his overhand right or his right hand. And so both of them are kind of dangerous. And I think that uh, really Bisping just has to keep his hands up and kind of make sure he blocks and parries. And a lot of times he uses a lot of head movement and moves out of the way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bisping is kind of a courageous fighter. And he has taken a lot of abuse throughout the years. I mean, that's what kind of caused the retinal damage that it took several surgeries to repair. You even see in the uh, the Anderson Silva fight, you know, he was winning, you know, the first two rounds. And then towards the end of the third round, he, you know, fading away and kind of dropping his hands. 
took a really big uh, flying knee against the cage. I think sometimes when he pulls out, he feels he's a safe distance away. And, um, you know, that's a very dangerous calculation to make on when to feel that you're far enough away from somebody. And uh, that's kind of the difference between a boxing ring and an octagon in the cage. Whereas some of those shots, if he were to fade away and feel like something was coming, he could bend over the ropes and kind of avoid it. Whereas against the cage, uh, you know, he backs up to a certain point and tries to fade away. Um, he can run into danger. Yeah. It's, I, I think that, that I've always thought of Bisbing as one of the best pure boxers in, uh, in MMA and UFC. Uh, and, and to that end, I also thought that he's always had some of the better footwork. Which could certainly benefit and kicks. Yeah, I really think he's a great kickboxer. Yeah, yeah. Which could certainly benefit him in terms of staying out of range of Henderson. Now that begs the question: uh, Do we see Henderson revert to uh, some of his wrestling base that we haven't seen so much over the last few years? I think the biggest potential for him to win fights is win this fight is to look to land hard shots. Mm. Um, you know, once you're KO'd like that by a guy, he has to be thinking. I mean, Bisbing, no matter how much. Uh, bravado that he's rattling off in the countdown up to this fight he doesn't want to get knocked out twice by the same guy Mm -hmm. and he's felt you know uh henderson's power and it isn't like henderson outspeeded him and you can sit there and go well as you get older you might lose a step and that's true but strength and power and punching power not the case Mm -hmm. people still hit hard into their 40s and 50s and still whatever power they possessed in their 30s doesn't seem to really diminish um, and so he has to be thinking about that. So every time, you know, uh, you know, Henderson goes to throw a shot on him and move, I would think that Bisbing's going to give him a lot of respect, try to score points and wear him down and, and, and cause accumulative damage throughout the rounds. But at the same time, you know, where normally he might throw a three-piece combination, I'm thinking he throws two and gets mm-hmm. out of the way. What do you think about the idea that Dan Henderson is going to fight for the first of all, what do you think about the fact that he got the middleweight title shot because he leapfrogged some guys i mean it's it's I can't remember the last time that we've seen somebody get booked for a fight, in other words, not be a injury replacement, but the original opponent right for the title shot. I can't remember the last time that we've seen somebody get that title shot and be so far down in terms of the top 10 rankings uh and it's somewhat a matter of circumstances i mean some other guys did have some fights booked and stuff like that but but i think we should make no mistake that there is some special dispensation going for the fact that this is one of the greatest of all time he says this is going to be his last fight win or lose and there's a history with these guys. I mean, it's all about the marquee matchup and the backstory. So that being said, what do you think about the fact uh, that he gets this title shot? Well, I think it makes a lot of sense just because, you know, trying to, you know, wait around for Dan to fight two or three more times to put himself in the top two or three mm-hmm. to make it to where, you know, to somebody who's just looking at the rankings to feel justified in him getting the title shot, you know, there's always a risk that now he drops one, you know, and, and then does he have to put another three in, in front of him or four fights? Mm-hmm. You know, now he's going to be 50 years old before he gets another title shot. And again, the champion that's holding the current belt right now is somebody that he knocked out before. So I think that there's something to gain for the champ and being able to, re, you know, to revisit a, a loss and uh, possibly uh, redeem it. And then I think the story behind Dan Henderson going out as the champ, I think something that sells a lot of tickets and gets people interested. It sells pay-per-views. And at the end of the day, MMA is very much, you know, 
cater towards ticket sales. Mm-hmm. I like it. I I'm I'm unapologetically in favor of uh, of this move uh, for Dan Henderson. By the way, the UFC has him ranked 13th among UFC middleweights. Wow. So that right there, I mean, I, I'm not sure that it's ever happened in the modern era that a fighter who's outside of the top 10 has been booked for a title shot, not as an injury right. replacement, but well, just. And I right? think, too, because you don't really have a strong contender right now that making a scream for the belt, mm-hmm. you know, uh, possibly Jack Array. But, I mean, if you think about it, you have, uh, you know, uh, number two guy. Um, Weidman is at the Weidman is ranked by the UFC as number two. Now he's got a fight coming up with Yoel Romero. Right. I mean, and those two, Romero coming off of a little bit of controversy he had to deal with in, uh, in down there in Florida. Yeah. You know that kind of put him back a little bit. And then I think that you know Weidman's still coming off of the loss, and he then got injured for his uh, you know reshot at uh, Rockhold, and Rockhold's the guy he just beat. So mm-hmm. uh, you know the top four or five guys are not immediately, I don't think, are clamoring for they feel like anybody's being robbed right now and, and the losing out on a title fight. How about the fact that two of the guys who are ranked above Dan Henderson, Vitor Belfort at number five and Gegard Mousasi at number nine, are going to be fighting each other in the co-main event? That's kind of wild. Yeah. Same division. Well, I think that Gegard doesn't have enough... Uh, backing really I don't think enough people are interested in mm-hmm. seeing him fight for the title uh, I think he's kind of a victim of that being kind of an unknown as far as to the general fan not maybe the hardcore fan and then Vitor Belford you know he's just kind of coming off of some bad losses in a row yeah. I think that even though he's ranked five I think that uh, yeah, people aren't really clamoring to see him fight for the title right now I'm fine with it because it's Dan Henderson what I'm yeah. saying is, you know what? Anybody who's complaining, go out and have Dan Henderson's career. And if at the end of it, the only thing that you haven't done is win the UFC title and you're within the top 15 of, uh, of, of UFC fighters in your division, then then we'll talk about a title shot for yeah, you. I mean, I'm, he has I'm next perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with it. Now, um, what do you think about the idea that he says win or lose – he's going to retire. If he wins the title, he'll vacate the title. Do you think, I mean, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've held two titles and uh, you, you've challenged uh, besides that. Could you see yourself being able to, no matter what point you are in your career, win a title, get the belt strapped on you a third time, and then say, so long, it's no, been I mean, a good If you're career. healthy enough and strong enough to go win a title, why go ahead and wrap it up? That's what I mean, unless all of a right. sudden, you know, you win the title and something comes out that you have some kind of, you know, life-altering injury mm-hmm. or a situation occurring that you have to hang it up. But as far as fight-wise, you know, uh, why go out with the title and retire with it? You know, I, I don't know. I don't think that that really matters to anybody. Mm-hmm. I think that people always remember the highlights of your career and not where you ended up at. I mean, think about, I mean, in boxing. Muhammad Ali did not end his career with the title. No. And he still goes down as one of the greatest boxers of all time. And I mean, his last couple fights I've watched on video, ESPN Classics, and they were horrifically one-sided where I was like, yeah. why are they allowing this poor man to continue to fight? Yeah. And I don't think it really diminished his legacy at all because you remember what he did at his high points and the adversity he overcame. And I think Henderson goes out and wins the title. Let's say he, you know, he catches Bisping and knocks him out. 
I think that's a story in itself that somebody at you know forty six goes and vies for the title and wins it. Even if his next fight out, he loses to you know to a Rockhold or to a, a Weidman or you know Jacare or whoever comes in. What does that take away? It does. I don't think it necessarily takes anything away from the legacy that exists, but it does add this sort of shaky postscript that wouldn't otherwise be there. So to use boxing analogies, um, I, I, I don't think it cheapens what Ali accomplished up to that point, but it does create a whole other conversation about what happened against uh, Larry Holmes. You know, So it, it, compared to a fighter like Marvin Hagler, a fighter like a more recent example, Lennox Lewis, who just retired, stayed retired, was dominant, you know, and never really uh, completely embarrassed themselves at a point in their career. So I, I guess I can see the the upshot of that. I just think, I wonder if in Dan Henderson's mind... The only way I think that it makes sense is if you're undefeated. Yeah. And if you're undefeated at a certain point, maybe you want to protect your undefeated legacy. Mm, like Mayweather. Yeah, Mayweather, yeah. you know, retiring, you know. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of fighting until you get the one loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, right now that's not the case. Yeah. You know, especially in MMA, you know, who's undefeated, you know. It's yeah. very difficult to, to do that and be the champion. Maybe if, and I, I think about Dan Henderson here, maybe it makes a difference if you kind of walked right up to the brink of that retirement a couple of times. Because Henderson's been in that conversation before, you know, where people say, boy, should that be it for Dan Henderson? Was that the last? Is he done? And then, of course, he comes back and, you know, wins a fight or two and is right back in the conversation. It's just hard. If you're a competitive person, which obviously Henderson is, um, it's hard to put a a logical spin on it where you sit there and go, well, I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But anytime you have a passion for something, people do things that are not maybe logical sit on a sidewalk for 24 hours to meet a guy for 10 seconds <laughs> uh, that to some people might not be logical but if you have a passion for it so to sit there and look at Henderson and say well you know just hang it up it's a smart move mm-hmm. it might be on paper but at the end of the day as soon as he retires that's it for him like the rest of his life he doesn't compete no more yeah uh, you know that's a long time I think you see a lot of athletes at high levels that have a hard time with that could you just to, to try to put yourself in his mindset for a minute because He's he's like 10 years older than you. I mean, 9 to 10 years older, maybe like 9 and a half, something like that. Can you imagine in 9 and a half years still fighting off the top of your head? What do you think? Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah. uh, really, it's just barring on injuries. Yeah. You know, I think as long as you're healthy, you might as well compete. I think that's great news for the podcast. I'll say that. I uh, I, I encourage that, especially <laughs> since you're the one that's going to be having to get hit in the head. I'll I'll be cheering you on the whole way. Don't worry. <laughs> I I I wonder if part of Henderson's I'm going to say campaign to get this shot because I don't think he had to campaign too much for it. I think there was a huge groundswell of support for this. Um, but I wonder if in his mind it was a little bit of the public compromise. You know, it's kind of like the guy who runs for president and promises not to run for re-election. You know, elect me and well, I'll what you're four years and I'll get out Basically of Basically because everybody felt that it was the end of his role. Like how I kind of alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. makes sense to give him the title shot now. How many fights does he still have left in him? Yeah. Um, that maybe he has to be, you know, 
pay tribute to that, I guess? Or maybe, no? or kind of honor it, maybe, honor in a it, way. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I don't think he necessarily dishonors it, especially if he looks great. Of course, we're assuming, you know, we're, we're, we're jumping to the conclusion that he's won the title at this point. But there could be, um, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a controversial outcome, and there's a case for wanting to see it again, you know? I mean, True. if he and uh, Bisbing are particularly competitive, it's rare that you see a, a third fight in a trilogy made after the same person has won the first two, but it has happened if it's competitive enough. I don't know. I, 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 I think it's fine that he got the title shot, and I think it would be fine either way. I'm also okay with the fact if he, if he sticks to his word and, uh, and just retires. But um, as I like to point out, it's going to be a rough day for me when – the only guy older than me in the UFC and fighting anymore. Could be happening this Saturday, huh? No. <laughs> it barely, he says one way or another it's happening. So I may be uh, I think that uh, I may be tearing up. I don't know. Lose. I think there might be a fight left him and if he comes out and devastatingly knocks out uh Bisping, uh there's a chance to convince him to come back for one more, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're I mean, maybe him and Anderson Silva. You know? That's that a fight. I mean, Henderson lost the first one. But if you remember, that's right when he came into the UFC, right about. Because he had those losses yeah. to Silva and then to Rampage Jackson when he went up challenge for light heavyweight title as well. And, you know, there's Silva's a guy who is in a weird spot right now, too, because just like Henderson, one of the greatest of all time, just like Henderson, a guy who has been, you know, talked about in terms of alternating conversations about should he retire, but then also does he have one more title run left in him? I mean, maybe they would be running into each other uh, again at just the right time. I don't know. But here I am making his first title defense for him, and uh, he's got a tall order in going out and beating Michael Bisping. First things first, Saturday night. How about the co-main event? I referenced it a second ago, Vitor Belfort and uh, Gegard Mousasi. Uh, you know, it depends on, you know, Vitor Belfort, like I think I say this every time he fights, is really an unknown factor. Yeah. Uh, there's times he comes out there and he's capable of beating anybody in the world, his explosiveness and his speed and his, you know, his, his hands. And there's times he's, he goes out there and he questions himself and he hesitates and pretty much everybody in the UFC can stomp him and walk through him. And so uh, it just kind of depends on uh, which Vitor we see. is uh, extremely well-rounded, uh, so, you know, possibly tries to, you know, engage with him and clinch with him and, you know, drag him down into more of a ground fight and wear out on, uh, uh, you know, Vitor where he's not quite as dangerous as he is, obviously, on his feet. It, it kind of it surprises me that Vitor Belfort is ranked number five in the UFC middleweight division. The last couple of times I've seen his ranking, it always looks like a soft number to me. I just think there's way too – it's just like you said, now anytime Vitor fights, there's just so many unknowns about him and and how he's going to look. And I guess it should be a testament to his legacy that he's still – you know, he he still orbits around the uh, the top five of the division in the UFC, uh, win or lose. But somehow it it always surprises me when I look and I see him ranked that high. So Belfour, since his fight with uh, Chris Weidman, where Weidman really demolished him, he beat Dan Henderson. He uh, he KO'd him, and then oh, yeah. he lost to Jacare Sousa at UFC 198. So that's what I'm talking about. It's like up and down. It's like he he uh, makes quick work of uh, he gets he gets demolished by Chris Weidman. He he uh, KOs Dan Henderson with a head kick first round, two minutes in. 
uh, performance of the night bonus, and then uh, comes out and uh, looks lackadaisical against Jacare Sousa. So it's just well, like you said. It's yeah. who knows which uh, Vitor Belfort you're getting. Yeah, that makes it a scary fight for anybody because he's capable of if he shows up that night, you're going to have a very bad night. And if he doesn't, he hasn't shown up before. So getting a victory over him, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think really secures a lot of people's uh, legacy now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Something uh, really uh, sad happened outside of the UFC octagon. I don't know if you saw this uh, news today. Yeah, Josh Salmon died. UFC middleweight fighter. um, A guy who uh, uh, was based out of Florida and uh, just at the age of 28 died uh, a few days after he was found uh, unresponsive at an apartment. It was the same apartment where uh, a friend of his, Tony Kirkenberg, who was uh, a ring announcer for a regional promotion there, was also found uh, dead. And uh, according to the uh, uh, Tallahassee Democrat, police were responding to a possible drug overdose. The official uh, result of of Salmon's uh, cause of death has not uh, been released pending autopsy, but he stayed in a coma for a couple of days and then uh, died. I didn't have any, uh, never had any interaction with him. I always heard he was a nice guy. I did um, quite a bit. Did? Yeah. yeah. Where did you? How did you know him? Well, he was when he, when he did the Ultimate Fighter that was on John Jones versus Chael Sonnen, and I was oh. one of the assistant coaches. Oh, right. Okay. So okay, that was I, his I thought season. he had a huge amount of a talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, very good hands. You know, kicks. Uh, and very good jiu-jitsu. So yeah. I thought, you know, he was actually one of the guys, as the show progressed, I thought might have the capability of winning the whole thing. Mm, yeah, and a guy who had his next fight uh, booked, I think. He was uh, set to, to be fighting. Yeah, I think uh, he just signed a bout agreement. Yeah, he was he was set uh, for his next UFC fight. And uh, so don't know the details about his death, but it sounds uh, probably like it was pretty tragic. And um, uh, I know that he had written a book uh called i think it was called the housekeeper it was like about the addiction problems he dealt with and they also had a fiance that he lost like three years ago yeah because she was texting and driving he was the one texting yeah that's right texting her and and because i remember hearing that story and i was like geez that that uh you know you talk about carrying something around with you yeah Uh, not that that's your fault but just that you were directly connected to it to that moment is uh, uh, I'm waiting to find out. I'm kind of curious, you know, as far as uh, what it sounds like on the surface right now is possibly heroin. Yeah. And uh, I do know heroin's on the rise right now, especially sometimes amongst athletes. Because, uh, you know, for the last decade, you know, pharmaceutical companies have really pushed pain pills out there and mm. distributed in mass amounts, and it was so easy to get a script. And now they've really cracked down on the doctors that, you know, that just, you know, uh, blatantly pass out pills. And I think that what they did is basically create a whole, you know, industry of addicts that are, you know, opiate addicts. Really? And now you've cut out to make it where they can't get a hold of them through uh, pain pill medication, which it's not safe either. I don't think the solution is to go back to just making them readily available. Mm -hmm. But uh, it seems like the solution that is starting to happen is people are starting to uh, uh, buy heroin. Well, so you're saying that that we've had, so it's kind of like, people are becoming accidental junkies like oh, yeah. they, i think a lot of people you get wow. something from the doctor i think it's very easy to right. think that it's okay uh, i don't think it hasn't been but for the last couple of years that people realize the addictiveness and the danger mm-hmm. of uh of uh pain prescriptions you know mm-hmm. pain medication and so um they've created a whole clientele of 
of people that are, you know, uh, it was so readily available that people were getting a hold of pills that, you know, they might have had a sore back or, you know, whatnot, but really didn't need to. And then I think they got hooked on the actual pills itself. And then once maybe it didn't come from a doctor anymore, it wasn't very hard to find them on the street. Uh, And then that's in the last three or, you know, three years or so has really been cracked down on. And so now where someone could go and buy pain pills Mm -hmm. from, uh, from somebody that now they can't. And um, uh, so now you kind of create a vacuum. You created an issue where people are opiate addicts, even though it's from a doctor, so they don't really think of themselves that way. But now you, you you still have an addiction, and how are you going to feed it? Yeah, and I guess at that point you probably have people who at a different point in their life would never think about being a heroin user, but now they're compromised. Now they become addicted. Absolutely. And I've had this discussion with some of the people that work here in, uh, in town in law enforcement. I thought you would say here at No Regrets. No. It's not that kind of place, Frank. No. Okay. Uh, because that, that to me is kind of a, yeah. a stretch, too, because uh, you, know, you hear about it now. It's, it's really on the upswing in, in some of the schools here on a high school level, yeah. and, I, and that shocked me. I'm like, how does somebody just all of a sudden decide they're partying and drinking you know, underage and and stick a needle in their arm, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, how do you go from that to this? And then they, you know, a couple of the detectives that actually work on the task force that try to, uh, you know, uh, to, to do something mm-hmm. about this issue. They, they explicitly told me, well, it's pain medication before they can go into mom and dad's, you know, yeah. cabinet, pull out a couple of pills and have a good time. And now that those, it's so much harder. There's no more just doctors just handing out scripts left and right. No more uh, pill factories as I think they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have, uh, you know, they have a, a taste for an opiate and, you know, uh, and it's cheaper even now. And uh, now it's readily available for them to get a hold of it in the heroin uh, uh, aspect of it, you know, and, and to go that route. And so that's how they go from it. And then I think they, you know, because I asked this question, too, because, again, you know, you know, smoking something, I, I, you know, you're at a party, a hot girl hands you something. There's certain things I can see. It's never happened yeah. to me, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But, uh I don't care if it was the whole Playboy uh, folder, you know, <laughs> centerfold of the last three or four years, all, you know, 36 of them. Mm-hmm. And they tried to give me something to stick in my arm. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. So how does somebody else convince themselves to get that way? And they explain, well, they start sprinkling it and smoking it. And then, you know, and then it starts out in varying degrees. And then they actually go into maybe injecting it because it's a, it's a more intense high. God mighty, I had no idea. But see, you run with a rougher crowd than me. I'm, I'm, I'm naive to a lot of these uh, seedier ways. <laughs> you don't ways. have kids, so you're not trying to pay attention to all this. No kidding. Uh. You know, and, and let me tell you, that's the, part of, that's the part of parenthood that I do not envy, you know, is having to navigate the perils of society. Because uh. I have thought this. I have thought about, for my own self-serving interests, I thought, well, one, one thing that's not good about me having, not having any kids is when I become physically incapacitated— I don't have any of them that will be burdened to take care of me. See, you've got a whole round-the-clock staff you're raising. Yeah, you'll be all right. But then I thought the flip side of it, and I thought, well, that may be true, but I'm also guaranteed that I'm not going to have one of them go south on me and beat me and stuff like Mickey Rooney's kid did. True. You know, they don't don't have to worry about that happening either, so – uh, all right. Well, yeah. So we'll we'll see what the cost, and especially in that Florida area uh, where Josh Salmon lived, because I know that 
You were talking about like the pain management clinics and all that kind of stuff. Bowser was one of the biggest epidemics. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I'd seen some. I think I'd seen a documentary on that. In fact, uh. they were. I saw a documentary. They were explaining that some of the Southwest flights that flew from like uh, fairly close states like North Carolina stuff like that, you know, along the East Coast, that um, the the pill traffickers would hop Southwest flights and come down to Florida real quick for the pain management clinics, and that those flights were actually called the OxyContin. Express. That was yeah. the nickname that these these uh, yeah, flights got. Because they can go into different flights. clinics, and yeah. a lot of these doctors are just handing out prescriptions. Yeah, and you'd have someone go to two or three, you know, clinics or such, grab you know pills, no. uh, buy them for you know a dollar something a pill, then come back over and, and sell them for you know five to ten twenty mm-hmm. you know, dollars a pill. And that's not talking about oxycotons. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've heard of them being like, you know eighty dollars to a hundred. Mm. Yeah. What uh, changing gears here just a little bit, uh, but staying with the Florida MMA scene. What did you think about the uh, UFC suspension of American top team uh, UFC fighter Michael Graves? Now he's got an investigation going for a domestic dispute, and uh, he had his next fight booked. The UFC has canceled that pending the results of the investigation. Uh, you know, we've seen things like this happen before in the UFC, and um, it seems like they have always taken a pretty um, hardline approach to it. You know, the UFC saying, look, you know, really kind of, um, I don't want to say guilty until proven innocent, but certainly under suspicion until proven innocent. You know what, if you got something like that hanging over your head, let's just set you aside. Let's get the whole thing cleared up uh, before we have to worry about you uh, coming back to uh, action. He was arrested by uh, Atlanta police on Saturday after an incident with his fiance. So he's been pulled out of his November 19th fight. What do you think about the UFC's policy that they just, you know, even even under suspicion, let's just, uh, let's just provisionally uh, uh, bench you? I mean, it's not in the spirit of how our country is where you're innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess they want to really show a stance because of public opinion. That uh, they have no, uh, you know, zero tolerance for any kind of domestic violence, uh, and I think that they just take that because obviously, of late, especially the NFL, uh, you know, that's been kind of a hot topic in our, yeah. our, in discussion. And so, uh, you know, I understand on a business point of view why they're doing it. Um, you know, overcompensate to make sure that you know, that especially with the image of a professional fighter, probably not very easily uh, able to sway the general public into thinking they're just some violent monster. Um, you know, they have to be overly cautious. It's not like they're dealing with a bunch of, uh, you know, physicians or uh, or whatnot or just, you know. Uh, and so uh, the type of work that the professional fighter is involved in, um, to have any kind of questions of whether he's violent towards his, his, his uh, significant other, I think, you know, uh, I completely understand why they take such a hard stance. I would like it if they just kind of waited for the suspensions to come and let due process occur. I mean, that is why we have a judicial system. Somebody gets arrested, they're released, you know, wait till it goes to court. And then once a verdict is handed out, they could abide by it. Uh, you know, like Anthony Johnson. How mm-hmm. long was he suspended for and missed a fight? It was a number of months. And, yeah, I mean, that you know, took quite a while to be innocent. And, clear up. And so, yeah. I mean, there was a financial damage and time sure. and stress on his part to not have been actually guilty of anything. And so that's kind of the part that I, I, I kind of don't really enjoy. I, I get it. But I think they could look just as professional if they said, hey, you know, uh, you know, if a, a news reporter, you know, hits him with a question. Well, one of your guys was just arrested. You're like, and, and we're going to sit and find out what happens uh, until, you know, the court system finds out whether he's innocent or guilty. 
we're going to sit back, and then if he if finds out that he's guilty of a crime, at that point we can say that he's now violated our uh, morality clause of our contract, and then now we'll hand out punishment um, you know, accordingly. You know, Because even then, you know, what is the punishment going to be? Was it a fight that was kind of back and forth? I mean, obviously there's varying degrees of some type of domestic dispute. Mm-hmm. You know, It could be two parties that are guilty and they're kind of hitting each other. You could have it to where you have a complete monster on your hands that you know, has repeatedly you know, beat the living shit out of his girl mm-hmm. uh, obviously he shouldn't be treated the same and, and, and obviously you know again the uh, punishment should fit the crime once the punishment actually occurs and we know if someone's guilty or not i think it's a good idea and i'll tell you why um first off it doesn't impact his legal standing he he still gets his day in court in terms of the judicial system but i think it firmly establishes the your place in the UFC organization as as a privilege rather than a right. I think it serves as a deterrent for guys to feel entitled to their position. So, like a little more is expected of them than the average uh, the average person with a more average job because it is violence. And like you said, there's there's a stigma with it. I mean, well, it doesn't matter how popular the sport gets to this day. But I mean, you've dated some. I mean, come on. We've always had some crazy girlfriends on our past. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's why I would rather just wait to pass judgment once the mm-hmm. court sees all the evidence. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, that every guy that gets arrested is, is innocent. But there are a few. And, mm-hmm. and I would never want to, you know criminalize an innocent man until we've proven that he's guilty i'm i know i'm with you and and i i certainly would want to stop short of of criminalizing them but to your point like i'll just i'll i'll draw an analogy to myself here i think what i think one of the things it could do this type of hardline policy is it serves as a deterrent maybe for a lot of guys to even get in situations with the wrong kind of people to begin with because you're right, I've I've had crazy girlfriends, but the thing is, for the most part, when they've exhibited their craziness, that's it for you. No more relationship for you after I've said. I remember one time I had a girlfriend that uh, was upset. We we got in an argument, and I wasn't going to take her. Uh, I think my band was playing a gig that night. Now I wasn't going to take her with me because she was really being, you know, uh, uh, you know, unpleasant. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to go do this gig and, you know, I'll catch up with you later. And she went and got in her car and uh, drove around the corner from my house and just ran her car right into a telephone pole intentionally. You know, fortunately didn't hurt anybody, didn't hurt her, totaled her car, and she just did it because she was mad. And I took that opportunity to look at it and say to myself, well, that's probably somebody I shouldn't be dating. I think we're going to break yeah. up. And that was the end of that. You had no so, kids together. Well, that's true. But my point is, is that, you know, it may not be the worst thing in the world to know that if you've got an element of your job, and it's not just unique to fighting. I mean, geez, if you're, you know, a, a high-profile politician, let's say, you know, that's, you know, or a or a teacher. I mean, there's there's occupations where you're, uh, you know, you're either in charge of kids or you're in charge of uh of an important part of the government, or maybe in this case, you you work for an organization that has a stigma to overcome when it comes to violence. That um, you know they just want to hold you to a little bit of a higher standard professionally. I don't know. I just think maybe it there's it probably. I think the good it does probably involves people in situations that we don't know about. 
You see what I mean? Like guys who maybe wouldn't have worried so much about the type of person that they're associating with until they realize that if it could mean something like this, like if I'm not really careful about the girl I get involved with, I don't, you know, know that I'm with a quality person, uh, she could really make trouble for me. Yeah, but I mean, you're dealing also with guys in their early 20s for the majority of the UFC. Uh, you know, and you're talking about a relationship where, you know, you guys don't live together. Yeah. You can make a clean break. Uh, I don't know. I, I, again, I mean, I, like, I see the point, mm-hmm. but uh, from my own, just, I guess, being a fighter, I would hope that I'm uh, you know, guilty before sentence handed out to me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's probably the the right line to draw is, okay, he's got to sit on the sidelines, but don't let's don't make any, uh, you know, premature judgments, well, I, mean, like I guess, before we find out what happened. Really, what's the difference? What's that? I mean, he's got a, a fight pulled from him. Mm-hmm. They can't give him that. They can't go backwards, you know what I mean? You can't sit there and go, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and pay you for that fight you missed. Hmm. Yeah. So he already took a financial hit and loss for a camp that he. You see what I mean? Like, so even though he's proven innocent, mm-hmm. he still suffered. Well, let me let me uh, because let me, people let me, he trained for yeah. the time and effort yeah. he went into a camp. Yeah. Uh, cost of you know if he has a regular job, he's not been going to his regular job mm-hmm. to train for said fight, mm-hmm. or let's say he does private lessons and travels for seminars or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Um, trust me, there's a financial hit by yeah. him losing his fight. So he comes back and you find out that he was innocent. You know, comes back, it's inconclusive, whatever the case may be. Well, let, uh, how let me, do they make up to him the fact that he was punished and not guilty? Well, let me draw an analogy to my day job, Frank, because uh, when the guy comes in, and the uh, prostitute performs the DC, which is uh, is not a reference to the uh, UFC light heavyweight champion. It's that stands for dick check. When the the uh, I was I was right now trying to work out in my head what yeah. DC stood for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you have what looks like a herpes sore, right? We don't know for sure it is. We're, we haven't we haven't swabbed it. We haven't sent any uh, tests into the lab. But you just have what looks like a herpes sore. We go ahead and tell you not that you can't ever come have sex at the brothel, but it's not with an t- active breakout. Today's not your day. So what we're going to do is we're going to probably comp you a drink at the bar. We're not. We're going to keep this quiet, yeah. and we're going to say we'll see you in a couple of weeks. I don't, I don't think uh, that's not a, guilty. You're not guilty. You're just. No, but that makes sense, and I don't think the guy really lost out on what a guy's losing out for a fight. Yeah, well. I can see the analogy a little bit, but I think it was kind of a stretch, to be honest with you. I'm just saying. I really, I just wanted a, a chance to yeah, reference Dick checks and herpes. Well, I mean, the same as if you got suspended as a police officer, you're suspended without pay. Yeah, that's one. No pay. Yeah, suspended. You know, and they find out that you did nothing wrong. Yeah, wouldn't they retroactively pay you? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I guess maybe... They would make it up to you saying, hey, there could be a situation where mm-hmm. your your character's being called in. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have the legal issues of having you as an active police officer, but he's going to get paid for that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like you said, maybe they can make it up to you on the back end if it does turn out to be just a complete well, that's what railroading. I think. If they find out that he's innocent, I think his show money should be given to him anyways. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe, so, I mean, maybe they want so to pull a fight and do that and, and be on the air on the side of caution. Yeah. Who's looking out for the fighter? Yeah. You know, who's taking care of that guy? Yeah. You know, the guy that didn't do nothing wrong. Let's just say he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just had a heated argument with the wrong girl and things got out of hand or, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. He could be as guilty as all hell. And then, you know, whatever happens to you is on you. But what about the chance we take that, you know, Anthony Johnson, he Mm -hmm. ended up being proven innocent. And, uh, you know, what what kind of uh, monetary gains was he given as compensation? Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing. I mean, it it, did just it cost him time and money. That's because he had no 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 one stood up for him. Because I think people are afraid to stand up for the guy. You know what I mean? You don't want to be on the side of, you know, you know, well, you know, uh, what are you blaming the victim? Like, no, actually, right now, the victim looked like the guy that was falsely accused. Yeah, I just had another idea for a cottage industry within the world of mixed martial arts that I think I could launch. You know, um, as you know, Frank, and I don't typically tout this, but as you know, I am a backpack specialist. Uh, yes. Uh, in the world of MMA, and you've seen this at the weigh-ins a hundred times, the guys who come up and they have the backpack on, right? And uh, the fighter is weighing in, and he's all depleted and everything. And then it was the guy wearing the backpack whose job it was to get the Pedialyte to him and manage his shoes and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And so many times I saw these guys wearing these backpacks that were unorganized. They were untidy. They're fumbling. They're dropping things. And seconds count here. And I, uh, as somebody who carries a backpack every day, pride myself on maintaining a very well-organized backpack. And I always thought that that would be, uh, I could basically be a backpack specialist. So what do you see now? In any camp. What I'm thinking I could do now. You're going to screen people's uh, significant others? Bingo. Yes. (laughs) I think that uh, I would only need present my extensive portfolio of psycho ex-girlfriends and say, listen, I am the guy to run the scouting report. You know, I'm the guy, you, you know, when you get one of those coaches that can study film, can really break down film, I'm like yeah. the Greg Jackson of ex-girlfriends. You know, what I'd do is I'd run a whole forensic. Well, sacrifice to have to give up crazy women, though. Well, you say sacrifice. I point you to the example of an Anthony Johnson or a Michael Graves who are wishing they had employed my yeah, services. Yeah, but having some of the best times you've had in your life been with uh, kind of a crazier uh, girl? Uh, well, on the on the front end, sure. Uh, on, on on the back end, when the telephone pole's been knocked over around the corner yeah, from my no, house, I'm not uh, saying it always yeah. ends well, but there are some highlights yeah. that you're happy about. I think I could do that. I think I could come in. I could run a forensic analysis on all your tendencies. You know what you what you tend to go for. Find your identify your patterns. Right. That's what a good coach does when they break down yeah. film. They identify patterns, and then uh, based on that, we sort of do a uh, a game plan for you. And then main thing is when when you're uh, you're faced with a potential opponent. I'm able to size that opponent up and uh, see what you may need to be looking out for. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, uh, hey, man. Uh, you know what I would do? Love is a hard thing to try to. Uh, you know how Mike Dol- You know how Mike Dolce uh, brags about the fact that he's never had one of his fighters miss weight. That's what I would put on my business card. No fighters charged with domestic. Incidents. That's what it would say on my business card. I'd have a spotless record. And people and guys, fighters would talk. They'd be like, you know, I don't know what you think of this girl, man. Yeah, she's pretty hot. She seems pretty crazy, you know. Don't you think? I don't know what you think. And he'd be like, man, you better call Richard Hunter. You know about this guy? And he'd see, because word would get around. And he'd be like, yeah, you know, such and such fighter. Remember that crazy bitch he used to date? Well, he got Richard in his camp, and Richard was able to identify preemptively yeah. a high risk and he got well, rid of her i mean the good part i mean the other part to it i guess not the good part 
is that uh, as a fighter, you know, I guess other guys right now in the league can just look at is that we're not treated equally. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, and there is no fairness to it because of the stigma that you carry as a professional fighter. Um, you know, you're going to be looked at differently in situations. You know, the True. cops show up and there's a fight occurs and they fight, no, and they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, life is not fair. You know, it is what it is. As soon as you get that out of your head, I guess. It doesn't mean we can't fight for it as much as we can. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think on their part, you know, like you said, just realizing that, you know, I can't even be close to a situation like that because I'm not going to be given any uh, benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I wonder if that would be – that would probably be uh, about as uncomfortable as when you have to bring your, your uh, fiancé in to the attorney to work out the prenuptial agreement, you know. Uh, it would be weird when you've, uh, you've been dating somebody for a little bit and it's gotten kind of serious, and so now she has to meet me, yeah. you know. I mean, I've thought about that, too. I mean, could you imagine if uh, me and, and Mrs. Muir ever decided to divorce – she goes to court. She's five foot one, you know, homemaker. You know, mm-hmm. unless she completely was in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And I show up. I'm six foot three, you know, tatted up professional fighter. You know, I probably have at least the fact I can speak really well going mm-hmm. for me in my favor. But the judge is probably not going to, you know, give me one uh, inch of leeway. No. And you're not real organized either. She seems like she would really have built her case. Yeah, she you know? would. Yeah, She's she way more did. organized. <laughs> the only thing is, is the thing that drives her nuts about me is I'm fluid on my feet, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been many of a bad situations, and I figured my way out of it. <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's. Uh, the guys from Smack Talk Sports are uh, are out here, and Tony's going to come on with us. I just grab that microphone right there. Um, so... This is going to be fun uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, so, so Sean, our friend who owns uh, No Regrets Bar out here, uh, Frank, has uh, gotten the guys from uh, Smack Talk Sports to come out here and do their show and uh, help promote the bar as well. All right, Frank, so Tony from Smack Talk Sports is here. Now, uh, first of all, tell everybody how they can get – when I say everybody, we've got an international audience here, so everybody can't just dial it in on the radio on uh, 970 AM here in Vegas. How do people find you guys online? Uh, online, you can download the 720 AM uh, app. It's uh, actually 720 KDWN on the Oh, I said Google the wrong Play. frequency. I'm yeah, sorry. That's fine. Okay, 720 AM. 720 AM. It's KDWN mm-hmm. on the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're within the 13 regions of our state, so basically the western United States, California, mm-hmm. up into Washington, even into Canada a little bit, uh, you can tune in to 720 AM uh, from 8 to 9 on mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, and we'll be live talking about just about everything. Okay. Well, let's, let's find out uh, what everything entails, because... You, it is going to be painful for you to see how little I know about sports. Frank knows. He's seen this. Um, <laughs> Fight sports he knows a lot about. Right. See, for me to enjoy sports, I need the constant threat of total incapacitation. Okay. And I only get that in combat sports. There is you haven't z- watched any NFL games? No. Well, there is. let me tell you something. There is zero right. chance that after three quarters of an NFL game, the referee is going to come out and announce that the uh, Dallas Cowboys have submitted to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers okay. and the game's You're over. You're saying that there's no uh, quick turnaround. There won't be a knockout, yeah. right? No knockout uh, blows. Right. Yeah. right. So uh, now that being said, I am from a, a, a sports mecca town of Dallas. Mm. I grew up there my whole life. This is where it gets even stranger. I got my start in radio on a sports talk station in Dallas. Okay. So 
I was given a radio show on a top five market on a sports station and didn't have any interest in sports other than uh, the combat sports. So I was I was hard pressed to uh, break down what seemed to be very important to my colleagues. Things like I remember there was some time there was a point where the Cowboys were thinking about switching from a five four defense to a four five. Four, Does three, that sound three, right? Four. Something like that. Yeah, and you. oh my gosh, we were all in a tizzy about that. And uh, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand how that was going to work. Um, and uh, you know, it's crazy. I moved to Las Vegas to uh, be closer to uh, MMA, but also one of the real benefits of coming was that there weren't any major sports franchises here. And no uh, sooner do I get here, sure. look what's happening. Now you're screwed. What's coming? What hockey. are we getting? Hockey. We're going to get Vegas hockey. Hockey's coming next year, 2017. Uh, they'll either be called the Desert Knights, Golden Knights, or Silver Knights, if okay. I'm not mistaken. I, like, I think Desert Knights of the three is the one that sounds the most like a strip club. <laughs> so I like going with that one. I don't know. Golden Knights sounds a little <laughs> Golden Knights right sounds there. pretty, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. strip clubish. Yeah. But, um, so there's going to be NHL hockey. NHL hockey at the T-Mobile Arena down on uh, Tropicana 215. That's a terrible idea. That, that <laughs> well, team, I mean, we're, we're not too far off from maybe having the football team, too. Yeah, the Raiders might be <laughs> coming that's here. That's the next thing. They're pushing it. That's right. the next thing that I'm yeah, hearing. We'll have people pass through uh, legislation, and they give us this arena. Well, sure. I, actually, I actually had a, a very uncomfortable exchange with Jerry Jones about this very topic. I don't know if you guys have heard. We have this monstrosity in Dallas that was built on the backs of the it's, taxpayers. It's a beautiful state. And uh, when it was uh, being uh, considered, first of all, the reason it's in Arlington and not in Dallas is because the Dallas City Council said no way to corporate welfare. So what happened was the citizens of Arlington will fall for anything. They'll vote whatever you need. You need an indoor Major League Soccer stadium, they will build it for you. Just tell them where to sign. Okay. They did it the baseball stadium and then the football stadium too. So when I was at the Dallas Sports Station, Jerry Jones came up to talk to us because they were trying to get everybody, you know, on board with this idea. And everybody was, uh, you know, because uh, they were interested in the, the sports and stuff. But my big concern about it was the fact that he wanted taxpayer money to do it, you know. And I said to him, well, how much is it going to cost for you to, you know, have the stadium? And I think the budget was $750 million, and they went over that or something like that. And he said, well, he only wanted the taxpayers to pay half of it, right? And I said, well, why don't you build you a nice, uh, you know, $375 million stadium? And he said, well, that's not going to be enough. And I said, well, excuse me for sounding like a Republican for a second. It was very uncomfortable for me. I was not used to it. But I said, let me let me argue the, uh, the principles of, uh, of the free market system. I said, to me, you should spend exactly as much as your customer base will support. So you charge a certain amount for your tickets, you pay your players a certain amount of money, and if that's too much and they don't turn out, then you're pricing your product too high. And he was not having this. He did not want to hear this. (laughs) So football and then uh, hockey. And then the one I know the least about is basketball. Is that one coming? I highly doubt it's coming. And if it comes anytime soon, I won't be a fan of it. Yeah, uh, they had a horrible all-star game out here once, where uh, I believe there were a lot of shootings, shootings, and people were going nuts over there, and it just caused a lot of havoc. And 
it's not something that Vegas really needs anymore yeah. anyway. Well, so. that being said, that you know the Raiders fans are kind of oh. notorious. For, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, hold that's on, true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we are. We I've are heard stories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the black hole in. So yeah. Uh, that's, a lot of people from Southern California be traveling up here for those Raider games. It's mm-hmm. gonna be rough, yeah. And this, it's not only you know what California is so infamous for this too. Mm-hmm. It's the Charger stadiums, it's the Raider stadiums, it's Forty Nine er stadiums. Fans get into physical fights and kill each other over football. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, drink your beer, have a smile, and go home. See, I believe like, that's it's not the, that complicated. I believe that's the. Sports, I, really. I don't know, but see, the <laughs> thing is though, MMA matches. I never really hear of fans turning cars, yeah. jumping no, guys. No. Yeah. yeah. See, and I'm hesitant to interfere with the process of natural selection. In my mind, it might be best for those <laughs> two just to fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's the case, but sometimes it seems like it's innocent. You know. Yes, indeed. The guy wearing the wrong jersey indeed. walking through the parking lot after mm-hmm. a bad game mm-hmm. seems to be the one suffering the most from this. You know, and then they get beaten into a you know, brain damage and die. You know? Well, yeah. Tony, do this for me because uh, because uh, you can help me out here. Tell me what is going on in sports. I'm going to have some questions for you. Okay. So right. what what's happening in sports right now? Baseball playoffs just started. Okay. Now let me see. Hold on a second. It is the beginning of October, and I know the World Series comes in October. At the end so, of October. So yep. my guess is we're kind of having the uh, like the uh, divisional playoffs. Yeah, it's right the now. wild to two wild card games have yes. just finished after tonight. San Francisco advanced today over New York Mets. Okay. Yesterday, Toronto won in extra innings over uh, Baltimore Orioles. Okay, so. so that means that Toronto, uh, who is in the uh, American League, they're going to go ahead and play Texas in the first round. Okay, that's where I'm from. And then the the Giants, you the, said advance. The, the Giants are going to uh-huh. go ahead and play the uh, lovely loser Chicago Cubs. Okay, oh, who haven't won playoffs. a World Series since now, 1908. Let me say, I like it when there is a perennial loser. Like I remember when everybody was so happy that the uh, Boston Red Sox sure. had finally broke. Sure. I did not like the fact that that curse was broken. I like the misery. I like for, <laughs> I, know, I like the fact that they got. All, I would like for them to get almost to the point, oh, but no. then lose. I, I want them go. I want to. I'm from Chicago. Yes, and I'm a Southsider, so okay. I hate the Cubs. That's that makes you a With white a passion. Socks. Yeah, my white, white socks, socks suck. Yeah, we're terrible. Yeah. I don't mind that, mm-hmm. but I'd rather see the Cubs make it to the World Series and lose than the White Sox win the World Series. That's how deep the hatred right. goes for me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So today is a very happy day for me. So if the mm-hmm. Cubs make it all the way to the World Series and they lose, mm-hmm. especially the one I predicted, I said Toronto would be there and they would beat them. They mm-hmm. lose to a team from Canada. Mm-hmm. Even worse. Yeah, and then hopefully they fall apart and they never show up again. But yeah, I mean, right now they're picked; they're favored to win the World Series. They yeah. have the best record in baseball. I like it when there's goats like Bill Buckner and he has to move out of town. I like it when there's stories like that. Well, you know, when speaking of goats, horrible that things is happen. the curse of the Chicago Cubs. Right, is the goat. Yeah, is a man tried to bring his goat and buy. He said he'd buy his ticket for his goat. And, mm-hmm. uh, they said no, we can't have mm-hmm. a goat in the stadium. And he said, well, from this moment on, you'll never win a World Series. Now, see if Frank, if I were the uh, the Chicago Cubs fan encountering Tony here and all of his White Sox bravado, <laughs> I would throw the 1909 Black Sox uh, World oh, Series fixing scandal in his face. Eight men out. Eight men out. Why, don't you, why don't you get uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame <laughs> and then we'll worry about your uh, Chicago. See, it's weird. I have selective sports knowledge. Yeah, that was some good knowledge, though. I, I mean, that's good knowledge. Yeah, someone's breaking into your car, Frank. Oh, it's just the car alarm going off. There's no question. I want to ask you guys, though, yes, uh, yes, because I was sitting here listening to you guys um, talk about a couple things. Um, 
getting into the domestic violence thing with uh, yes. uh, Anthony Johnson and uh, guys being taken out of fights, losing money, um, going back and forth, uh, and then they come back and they're innocent. They don't get anything in return. Is it that you're too scared as a as a fighter to jeopardize your career to to sue the UFC for let's say defamation of character or something uh, when your name well the, no, really we, really we, wasn't. Well, you know, but it you wouldn't didn't have be, a bad name to begin with. But it wouldn't be defamation. They're not saying you're guilty. But they are releasing you. No. Or, or, or taking you off fights because of this. Suspending well, you well, provisionally. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, you basically... Uh, your bout agreement was... Yeah. Voided. Um, but you got a morals clause. Is that not defamation? But then all of a I sudden mean, you really didn't commit nothing immoral. But I think that by the... It would be different if they were saying that they believed you had. But, but I think... But aren't they the, by suspending you saying they believe you had? No, I think they're they're going to say that we're going to let the process play out, but, but that until would, you're exonerated. But they're involving themselves in it by taking you out of the fight. They I actually think you bring up a good point. I, I agree with you. Maybe yeah. if somebody uh, wanted to, I think that, I, I mean, obviously I don't. Uh, I, I, I don't know. You've never been involved in anything like that. But, um, I mean, I if I was a fighter, I, I don't know if I could even come to do that because then I would risk my position in the UFC. Mm. True. Corporation, you, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that you, would damage yeah. the yeah. And damage I, the corporation. I think you would also and probably... The probably be better than yours. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, and I, I, I also think you would have to weigh in how much truth to it there could be. Because let's say you didn't actually commit a crime, but it's still not going to look good. You know mm. what I mean? Yes, okay, so I did. I was calling her a fucking cunt in the parking lot, but I did not do the other thing. You I know, didn't like pop her in the jaw. That yeah. part of it, you you might not even want part of that out there. That's true. Well, like I remember the situation that occurred with, um, remember Tito Ortiz and his then time wife, Jenna Jameson? Yes. And uh, I believe he got arrested for domestic. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, basically all he did was they were in an argument with each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he tried to leave the situation, and she barred the door, saying, no, you're not going to get out of here. You know, Tito's a 230-pound professional fighter, and mm-hmm. you have a 110-pound female telling you you're not going to leave. So he grabbed her by the shoulders and moved her out of the way of the door mm-hmm. and then left. And, you know, she fell down and, like, oh, he threw me down. And, you know, even when I, you know, obviously when the story finally came out on both sides, you're like, well, well, shit, what was he supposed to do? Yeah. He was actually doing the right thing, and she physically was trying to keep him she from She backed leaving. him into a corner, basically. Right. I mean, if yeah. the roles had been reversed and he had told her not to leave and she had to push him to get out of there. Oh, uh, it's straight would kidnapping. She, would she At have that been, point. Right. They would have like, hey, are you. They would have hit him with something hard. Right. Yeah. It's Well, that's a no-win situation, uh, and I hate to uh, play 2020. I hate know. to play 2020 hindsight, but at the beginning of the relationship, had he employed my screening services? Um, Tony, what else is happening in sports? Now, sometimes I go over to Frank's house and there's football on. Is football Football. being played right now? Yeah, of course. Football is being played right now. Okay, what's happening in football? Uh, College football, you got Alabama still at number one. Uh, Louisville was looking really good, and they have a Heisman Trophy candidate, but they lost to Clemson. So now they're out of the college football playoff unless 
they come back and win just about every other game that they're they're playing. Now, this is one thing I like about what I know about college football. I like it that one loss ruins the season. It really does. Yeah. Uh, now they make it not so much mm-hmm. that one loss ruins it. No. You can have one on loss. Losses too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it depends on you who you lose to, mm-hmm. your strength of schedule, things like that. It all factors in. Mm-hmm. And then there's college football playoff, four teams at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. In the NFL, rookie quarterbacks are coming out of nowhere, man. Carson Wentz. For Philadelphia, Dak Prescott for your Dallas Cowboys coming mm-hmm. out of nowhere, taking taking the reins. What are you saying? The Dallas Cowboys have somebody named Dak Wentz. Dak Prescott. Oh, Dak Prescott. Yep. Was there a Wentz? You just Carson Wentz. Oh, Carson. I just merged he plays for the Dak Philadelphia Wentz and Eagles. Carson Prescott. He plays for your rival, Philadelphia okay. Eagles. So, uh, so the Dallas Cowboys have somebody named Carson Prescott. <laughs> it sounds nice. like it sounds like somebody that'll have like a Roman numeral three after their <laughs> name, doesn't it? Whose father got him his uh, cush position oh, on man. the team? Okay, so that's how. Did they not have um, uh, Tony Romo? Yeah, anyone? but uh, he's uh, he's hurt again, oh. as what usually happens every year mm-hmm. to uh, Tony you'll, Romo. You'll find this uh, amusing, Frank. Um, so Tony Romo uh, got in some trouble a few years back when I was in Dallas because. We uh, hosted a con- a Steel Panther concert together. Uh, Tony Romo loves Steel Panther. Do you know these guys, the 80s I've uh, heard of hair them. metal band? And so he showed up, and uh, he was in the middle of a like, – I think they were in the playoffs or something. And he got up and sang Journeys Don't Stop Believing with the band. And, uh, Jerry- Is he any good? Uh, no, he's terrible. Uh, but he loved the band, and he apparently had sang with him a number of times. But it was controversial at the time because people felt like he should be home getting rest or something like that because the playoffs. I mean, when happening. you're in the limelight, just don't do nothing stupid. I don't believe that was stupid. I mean, he's out yeah. having fun. He's not acting drunk and Believe it or not, I'm one of the safest. Frank will, will uh, vouch straight for edge. me. I'm one of the straightest guys you can hang with. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make sure your athlete is staying out of trouble, you should really probably put him with me. There you go. That's why you go that, with me out of town. That's right. That's why Frank's <laughs> wife has me uh, hanging out with him. I rooms now. She makes it to we have to buy. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Who snores louder? Frank. <laughs> Can I ask you one more question oh, about uh, course. Uh, fight? Fight sure. sports. Fight sports. Yes. Going back to like way beginning of what you were talking about with mm-hmm. Bisping and, and Henderson. Yeah. Um, let's say Bisping didn't upset Rockhold, and uh, Rockhold's the champ right now. Mm-hmm. Does Dan Henderson get this fight? No. Nope. No. Okay. So it's that was all, a resounding no. Yeah, no, yeah. it's all about the backstory, who the it's opponent the backstory, is. It's the, the hype. Yeah. That, there's, that, there's so many factors, it's kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. He's coming off of a win streak, Dan is, putting together a couple of real impressive wins. Yeah, the Hector Lombard fight just had everybody going crazy. Uh-huh. It might actually be voted as one of the better fights of yeah. the year. Okay. You know, it was definitely one of the best rounds, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that. Bisbing has worked his way up to be the champion, and they have history together. You know, he had knocked him out in previous. Yeah, it's that perfect scenario that has caused that to happen. That history that you were talking about, um, the extra punch, man, that 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 keeps being shown over and over throughout the media. The extra punch that Henderson laid down on Bisbing when he was basically Frankenstein's. I mean, knocked out. Um, do you think that? is overplayed right now like they're just hyping that up way too much yeah i think it makes a good story i think the reality of the fact is that henderson as a fighter who's competitive i've done it before it's been done against me i didn't We're, see the ref try to stop him before yeah you don't stop when you knock somebody out i mean yeah. some guys choose to do that 
and sometimes you may be wrong. And all of a sudden you look up and the referee's like, he's not out, and you might have lost your opportunity to win the fight. So really, honestly, you keep fighting until the referee stops you. Okay. I mean, and that's not an unsportsmanlike thing. That's just, you know, it's kind of like running through the line on a football. Yeah. You know, if you're carrying the ball, you don't celebrate on the one-yard line, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's that dumb chance someone's coming up behind you or, you know, you drop. A few times. Yeah. So, you know, you run through the line. And I think that's really what fighters are doing is we're running through the line. You know, you're trying to win the fight, and you're going until the referee tells you stop. Now, a scenario where a referee's on top of you and trying to pull you off, if you're still punching, then, you know. That's different. That's different. Then, you know, we're all, as a collective group of people, we're going to look as fighters like, you're a dick. Yeah. I think the tougher thing for Michael Bisbing was not that he suffered the extra punch, but that Dan Henderson turned that into his logo. That is his logo, is a silhouette of him flying through the air like that. The H-bomb, so, uh, they call it. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, what about, um, as they said, or as you guys were talking about earlier, um, him retiring afterwards? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of people use this as a ploy to get where they want to go. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this might be his last fight, so we have to give it to him. You know what I mean? Do you think That was he, factored in, I think. If he said, like, you know, I want to win the championship and go on a run. That they would make him wait, or make him fight a couple other fighters I to think climb it depends the on rankings. How the fight goes. Let's say he goes oh. out there and he's devastating, and he crushes Dan, or you know, crushes Bisbing and wins. I think he can sit there and say that night that, "Hey, this is it. I'm done," and then come back a couple weeks later and say, "Hey, look, overwhelming fanfare tells everybody they want me to go at it one more time." Who am I to you know deny that my fans uh, that privilege of you know me going out on my shield? Yeah, and so I think that uh, he can make it almost like it's not his call that you know that everybody around him is pushing him towards fighting, even if it is completely his decision to keep on going. Yeah, I think it's easy for him to uh, get around it. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people saying, "Well, you said it was your last one." At the post-fight conference, he can sit there and go, "Yes, this is my last fight." Wait a couple weeks, and all of a sudden, go, "Well." I guess I'm not going to retire. You know, everybody's yeah. kind of you know clamoring yeah, I, for me to do it one more time. I think one thing about it though is that he won't be able to delay it very much because he'll be the UFC champion. So it's either so, relinquish or move on. Right? Exactly. So it won't be it won't be you know under any other scenario if you weren't the champion you could delay it and draw it out and let me talk to my family and see sure. you know what happens immediately after any title fight is everybody wants to know who's getting the next shot. Yeah. So that conversation would well, start. Well, if he does retire and they say they take him away he's not the champ anymore yeah. so now they say the belt's vacated if all of a sudden he comes out of retirement he automatically becomes a champ again yeah um that happened with uh, randy couture randy couture had retired yeah and then all of a sudden he came out of retirement and he had retired as the champ and yeah. then all of a sudden he was the champion and they already had a champion already even crowned in noguera and all of a sudden then he became the uh, the interim belt uh and then randy and had fought the, for it and randy had the real belt but yeah, they did they immediately no, because, fight for it. No, because actually I was scheduled to fight uh, Noguera, oh, so our fight was already scheduled for a belt, okay. and then it became the interim belt because Randy came out of uh, retirement. Now Randy's deal was a was a, a, a lot about litigation too during all that, right? So that was help that was drawing it out as well because well, he I, was, I guess the point is it isn't yeah. like it's ran by a commission. Yeah, the belt itself. Yeah, it's the UFC's discretion. Yeah, so he could retire and. All of a sudden, you know, you could have a, a champion, and he can come back out of retirement and be the champ, and all of a sudden that champion becomes the interim champ. Sure. No, I, it, hear you. I mean, I'm pointing to something that's actually already occurred. Yeah. Right. Last right. question for you, for me, and then I'll let you guys be, man. Um, going to the women's side of things, 
Is there a chance any time in the near future of a uh, Rousey Cyborg? Doesn't look like it. I, I well, it, and I think the biggest question right now is: Does Ronda Rousey return at all? I think that's Period. yeah. I think that's the big question. I think the bigger question we're all asking is: Can they just create a one forty five weight class for uh, Cyborg so we don't no longer have to see her struggling to barely make one forty mm. and not even? And, and this, yeah. I think, really, we just need to abandon the talk of her ever making one thirty five. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I think if Ronda were to fight Cyborg, she has lost the leverage of saying she has to come to that Cyborg would have to come to one thirty five. Yeah. So I think now the pressure would be on Ronda to at least accept a one forty catchweight fight at catch least. Weight. But I just yeah. I don't know what's you know every, everybody's kind of wondering what's going on with uh, with with Ronda. It confuses and me. Would I she think we have any stirrings of her actually getting back into shape even at the moment? Yeah. I've yeah. seen her in the Entourage movie. I mean, she's doing a lot of other things besides. Yeah, no, I mean, she's already training. a superstar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think also too. I mean, George St. Pierre has pointed that out. It's hard to want to get in there and fight again when you're comfortable. You mm-hmm. know, you know, a lot of fighters. I mean, that's one thing I, I respect about Mayweather so much. Say what you will about him, but he's richer than he'll ever need to be. Yeah. His kids are going to be richer than his grandkids are rich. Um, and I got he's a lot got, to say about him, but I won't. Well, I mean, but, but yeah. and he still shows up and trains for fights. So I've never yeah. seen him dial it in. Yeah. I mean, as far as his professionalism as a fighter and preparing for fights, has anybody here ever seen him show up out of shape? No. Nope. That guy works out at four in the morning. He's running up and down the streets. I mean, he works out every day, seven days a week. Oh yeah, sure. And he's a multi multi millionaire. Sure. So where a lot of other people we've seen uh, success test your metal like anything. Yeah. Um, you get somebody has, you know, not $180 million, but let's say they just have $20 million. Do you really want to get in there and strap on the headgear and, and bang it out? You know, how, yeah. what's your motivation now? No, I understand. So, you, have to have, you have to set a goal for yourself. So, and I think the Ronda might be a victim of somebody who's made a lot of money and continuously will be able to make money right now. She has a name for herself. I, I think she's comfortable. I think getting kicked in the head might have taken the fight out of her you think so well i think I'm also sorry. the severity of the injury that she occurred i mean yeah. she really took a bad shot i i got one more question i really apologize because i said i only had one more yeah. right. but um Zons are interesting we're good okay. sure i had yeah, a, something uh, stupid and if i do a little half canter in my head yeah, don't don't do that <laughs> if, he, if he frank mirror faces you then we no, it's right then we're in trouble then it's that's still about fight sports uh, i'm a fan of all sports even fake sports now i'm going to talk about wwe now mm-hmm. i'm going to talk about cm punk Mm. coming in um did that get under your skin a little bit that he yeah. got to make his debut on a pay-per-view and get paid the amount of money that he got paid to literally walk well, into a takedown and get demolished honestly the, whole fight? the amount of money he made didn't bug me as much as some people think it would bug me because he sold a lot of tickets when mm. they looked overall on that fight the pay-per-view buy is kind of justified and the following that he brings from his stardom and pro wrestling justifies his monetary value you know because really you are not valued about how well of a good of a fighter you are you're valued on who's going to purchase to watch you fight yeah you know it'd be like brad pitt if brad pitt decided to become an mma fighter Everybody's he's going to get paid a lot of money because and, guess what and he may now i think he's about to have yeah. half the money he had Everybody a month in ago mom's going to turn on and watch that fiasco yeah uh the only part that does upset me a little bit about it that i think i alluded on earlier podcasts is that he took someone's spot. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, there's only so much fight that you can book. Without a doubt. So there's somebody who's been sweating and bleeding and striving to make it and who's more earned that 
for as far as that's where they dedicated their life to. Without a doubt. That he got to, you know, surpass and leapfrog over them. I feel like he should have been a prelim of a Fox Sports 1 event, honestly. Yeah. Well, but, and had he had he made his debut, first of all, I, I thought it was dicey that he got sanctioned to, for a professional fight. I mean, that is literally, that's maybe crazier than me walking in off the street to he, the he to the Nevada State Athletic really Commission green, and getting sanctioned. Really but the thing is is that um had he taken a fight like in a regional promotion, there wouldn't have been all this hubbub about it. Because yeah. he would have it, it would have been a big draw, uh, he could have sold a lot of tickets, but it, it wouldn't have had the it wouldn't have had the UFC brand on it, and I think that was the toughest thing. Was that you're talking about the best of the the best? I mean, if he went and fought in a regional promotion, well, Frank, I don't think people would be saying, "Oh, you're taking a regional fighter that's spot." The thing too is that we're not Major League Baseball, we're not the NFL, we're not Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. So when anybody tries to compare us to them, I'm like, "Well, when's the last time you've seen somebody who just their ambition was to take a snap on a professional football game yeah. and given the opportunity to take someone's spot beyond there and take a snap?" Because they said they wanted to try it out. Yeah. There's a lot of guys out there that want to try that out. Yeah. But I think that legitimate sports would not have done that. And I think that the fact that we did that, it's kind of scary in a way because it's very reminiscent to me of a celebrity boxing match. Where yeah. now we're, we're yeah. tuning in because of your namesake, not because of your skill level. And I do acknowledge, like I said, pay-wise, there is you know the fact that you are a known commodity that helps. You know, People are tuning in, so I get why you're getting paid to do it. But, you know, it's hard to, in one hand, say, I want to be considered a legitimate sport, and on the other hand, do celebrity boxing matches. We, that's essentially you. what we did. We did a celebrity MMA fight. I offered this compromise to Frank. I said we should take a Hunger Games approach and just once every 10 years do this. It's, it's not going to happen with any regularity. Once every 10 years, we select a celebrity with no fight experience and sacrifice and them for really the amusement We've never really done that before. I mean, I know a lot of people tried to draw a lot of uh, lines to Brock Lesnar, but Lesnar was a national champion yeah. in wrestling. Yeah, no. You know, the guy was a high-level right? collegiate wrestler, sure, yeah. you know, that established that he had a foundation in that world. Um, you know, James Tony came over and got a fight immediately with uh, Randy Couture. He didn't fare very well because MMA was new to him. Didn't uh, Herschel Walker... Herschel Walker went to, uh, too, yeah. right? but that being said, you know, uh, guys that had a background in combat sports, sure. you know, you're talking Lesnar was already a national champion in wrestling. Now, James Tony was a, you know, what a five time, uh, you know, a boxing a world champion too. Yeah, you know, known. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame boxer. Sure. So, uh, those I was having an easier time swallowing. The you know a guy who has no background at all in, in martial arts saying that's his dream i'm like well there's a lot of people that i'm sure their dream is to be in the ufc you know just like a lot of people maybe want to go into a you know kind of reminds me of uh tim tebow and the baseball thing that he's doing now you know what i mean he got got a nice little tryout in Mm -hmm. front of 32 professional scouts Mm -hmm. uh as a baseball player and he got Mm -hmm. signed by the mets Mm -hmm. to play in an independent league but um he would have never had that opportunity if it wasn't Tim Tebow. Yeah, but at least he made his name as. I mean, yeah. the guy is a Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, sure, he's an athlete. I mean, and arguably one of the best college players that ever, ever. offensively yeah, ever played. Sure. Right? I mean, and and really, honestly, if he had not been so stubborn about being a quarterback, he might know, be playing in the NFL. He might still be playing. Yeah. I mean, if he really did go to the Patriots, that was my kind of fantasy. I was like, wow, this guy decides to be an H back, and he goes and trains and plays for Belichick. The things that they can figure out how to do with this guy, oh. you know, they toss him a, you know, a, 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 
you know, a quick, you know, a little lob, or, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, a sweep. And all of a sudden, he, you know, your corners can't can just stop. go ahead and dump the wide receiver and, yeah. and come in for the tackle. I've, they I've got no to cover their wide happening. receiver all the way down to the end zone. And that guy's a good enough runner in the open field. And then the guy's 235 pounds running people over. I mean, Richard's head's what's spinning happening? right now. What's happening? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no you hear what I'm saying? So yeah. no, I, I think anything is stubbornness. It's like, well, look, you're not a true yeah. NFL quarterback. Hey, guys, Frank Rich, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. Of course. Now, let's much. do this. We're going to tell everybody, uh, Tony, where they can find uh, Smack Talk Sports on social media and that sort of thing, uh, how Smack they find Talk you guys. Smack Talk Sports social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Snapchat. Uh, Facebook, uh, front slash Smack, Ta- Smack Talk Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, AM 720 every mm-hmm. Saturday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Um, you'll hear the music uh, and you'll hear our voices. And uh, feel free to call in. We love people who talk smack, too. So, Who's on the show? It's you. It's myself uh, and two co-hosts, Joe okay. Buddha and Sean Adams. Yes. And um, we are both from different walks of life, uh-huh. So all of us. So, does, does one guy like specialize one sport and one the other? Uh, I think we're, we're abroad in everything, mm-hmm. but um, we come from different parts of the country, mm-hmm. so we don't agree on anything. Oh, okay. So it makes for some pretty good banter. Okay, so, excellent. Well, we will listen in. Uh, Frank, now you just heard the uh, the bang-up job that Tony did there, plugging their social media, so the pressure's on for you to follow that. We got this down now. Yeah, I know that on Facebook and on Instagram, we're on Phone Booth Fighting. Yes. And our Twitter and uh, Snapchat is Phone Booth Fight. I know. Due to the lack of space to have put the I in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, Frank is uh, on his way to the airport. He's headed your way, Denver. Uh, I'm headed home, and uh, I will be on stage Sunday night at the L.A. Comedy Club on the Las Vegas Strip inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino 8 p.m. show. If you want to come out, if you're in Las Vegas, hit me up on social media. I will put you on my guest list. Uh, folks, uh, T-shirts are available. Phone Booth Fighting T-shirts are available at phoneboothfightingshop.com. That's phoneboothfightingshop.com. And uh, I spent a good chunk of the morning at the post office again this morning mailing out a bunch of the Fund Anything packages. So they are coming your way over the next couple of days, guys. Uh, If you ordered them, if you contributed to our Fund Anything campaign, you will be getting your uh, packages in the mail very, very soon. For Frank, I'm Richard, and uh, we'll see you next time on Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was kung fu.